you know, my philosophy in life is just say yes and figure it out because a yes leads to something. And I just feel like in some ways, I just wanted to constantly open doors for myself and see what the possibilities of life could be. And just to keep trying and trying new things, try to create something. It doesn't matter if it doesn't really work. I, you know, maybe that is the beginning, this bad thing that I've created that just sucks and looks ugly or whatever could actually be the beginning of something else. Welcome to Theoretically Speaking, hosted by Victoria Herrera and Brent Javier, produced by Next Theory. From the Philippines to the world, this is an interview series with creative entrepreneurs, taste makers, and change agents. We dissect the journey they took from dream to reality, exchanging stories from the past, motivations in the present, to ideas for the future. All right, guys, welcome to the 10th episode of Theoretically Speaking. Still with me, Victoria Herrera and Brent Javier here in the house. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have one of my mentors and soul sisters. And just so you guys get to know a little bit more about her, she is a creator, brand builder, storyteller, and Maori healer. Based in Singapore, she had her start in branding in 2003 when she launched a men's streetwear brand that collaborated with brands like Reebok and artists like Lupe Fiasco and Talib Kweli. Her passion for creating led her to launch a mobile tech startup and digital sticker app in 2015. And apart from brand building, she's focused on running sessions and holistic retreats with businesses and private clients, anchoring her practice as a healer in the Maori tradition. With that, I'd like us all to welcome Miss Amanda Scully. Hey, hi. Hi. What's up, Amanda? What's up, Amanda? And the crowd goes wild. Yeah. I know. Did you hear me cheer for myself? <laughs> <laughs> hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. Yeah. So I just want to start it off by thanking you for joining us today and for guesting on this podcast. You're one of the guests I was very excited to bring onto the show because of the personal impact you've had on my life. And then also in terms of what you've done professionally in your career as well. And I'm very excited that our team is here also listening and we'll be learning and we will be sharing this energy to the world. So I know I know you, but we're going to take it back and reintroduce yourself for those who are listening to you for the first time. So who is Amanda Scully? Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I guess I can take it back. So I was born in New Zealand. I come from mixed heritage, which I think has given me so much perspective on life. My mom is uh, Singaporean. My dad's Kiwi. That's what we call people from New Zealand. And I moved to Singapore when I was like 10 years old and I've been here for such a long time. I did school here and everything. And when I was about 19, 20, I started a men's streetwear brand. I don't really like saying the word streetwear, but I'll call it that, you know, for the context of the fact that that's what most people know that sort of independent fashion to be. So I started a men's streetwear brand and took it global. Really, it was built on like blood, sweat and tears. And I know a lot of people say the two person team. And we got our product into into stores all around the world, worked with amazing brands right off the get-go. We're really, really fortunate to have such incredible partners and collaborators and just people that believed in us. Vicky, of course, you were one of those people who started interviewing us and that sort of thing and then buying products for to stores and that sort of thing. And then eventually joining our team, which was such a blessing, you know, so that was really great. And also to have that energy. This is where I think like the synergy with Vicky and I has really flourished and we've done so many things together. 
fast forward about 13 years into it, started a mobile tech company, launched a digital sticker app. And so that was a little bit ahead of the curve, but that's sort of the nature of what my businesses were at the time was really sort of jumping into things and seeing sort of what was on the cusp and and going into that and pushing that sort of culture and that sort of thing. So did that for a little bit, did a bunch of trade shows, tech shows, traveled the world, changed my life in quite a big way in terms of like leaving the businesses, leaving a really important relationship in my life. And then I decided to travel and spend a lot of time with friends and family and nurture myself. It was an interesting time of undoing all of the pieces of myself that I thought that I was, you know, here I am, I'm this like independent entrepreneur, like capable of building brands and, and like, I can sell anything type of person. And then just sort of stripping back those layers and being like, actually, who am I really? What are the qualities that I want to take forward into my life? What do I want to be known for? imprint do I want to leave on this world so that's when I started to really explore who I was in a deeper sense and sort of find more about my spirituality and more about my roots traveled a lot more and, and learned a lot from a lot of different people I did a lot of workshops I threw myself into the deep end with workshops and travel and and exploring just such the weird woo-woo things all the things that people think are weird and woo-woo and witchy and just weird like feminine spirituality I was into I was like okay I'm going to explore this no matter how uncomfortable this is I'm going to do it and then strangely felt that it was super comfortable and then found my voice within that now I found that I really need to have a balance between what I've done for so many years and who I became as an adult it's really now where I'm at reinventing myself over and over and over again I think I'm just waking up every day and seeing each day as an opportunity to reinvent myself and and just be better than I was yesterday so hopefully that's what I'm doing You thought of all of that right now on the spot? I know. <laughs> yeah, that was me. I was like, did someone rehearse? <laughs> I just said I can sell. <laughs> and I can <create> friends. So. <laughs> Yeah. True. Why did I ask that question? I've seen you sell and create brands. But really taking it back to that time, um, you say you started a brand at 19, 20 years old that was picked mm-hmm. up on international websites And it was picked up in stores all around the world. How is that experience for you when you didn't have that background before when it came to brand building and putting things together? How did you learn that? Yeah, that was really hard. (laughs) I think the actually, wow, actually, now that you're, you're asking me this, it's actually throwing me back into some earlier memories in life. I think I knew how to because my mom was an artist and my mom was this like Asian woman who like kind of tiger mom cross cool mom. And the interesting thing is that she raised me, taking me to like markets and gypsy fairs and that sort of thing. And then when we moved to Singapore, she started doing these craft fairs. And she started having stalls and she would get me to front the stalls. And she was like, Amanda, you can sell the product. And so I would have been about 13 or 14 when I started trying to, or not trying, but I was manning the stores and I was selling product and that sort of thing. And I had to know this product and I had to know what I was selling. But more than that, I had to believe in it. And that was, I think, the foundation for building these brands and building the brand into what it was in terms of taking it international was that I was on the phone. So actually I had a day job and I was sort of like up at maybe 
seven every morning and off to work. And then I get home at maybe 7 p.m. And then I'd have dinner and I'd sit down and I'd be in front of my computer for about two or three hours. And then I was on the phone. So I was on the phone from about maybe 9 p.m. till three o'clock in the morning. And then I go to sleep, wake up and go to work. But that's what my brands were built on. It was built on just my perseverance to be on the phone with these stores. And I would call and bug these people. I'd be like, hi, this is Amanda again. Do you remember me? I'm in Singapore. This is my brand, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just to be heard. But then, you know, once I sent them an email and I sent them, you know, what the product was, I was just like, have you seen it? What do you think? And then if they said they weren't interested, I was like, yeah, oh, good. No, you know, that's totally fine. It's, I don't want it to be for everyone. But eventually, People saw the value of what we were doing. And I think the main thing for me was building relationships with people. A funny story is when I was in 2015, when I went to Agenda, I met for the first time so many of these buyers that I had worked with for 10 years or more than 10 years. And they were like, wow, this is the first time we're meeting you. Do you remember when you used to call me all the time? And I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> bet that was fun. They were like, what happened? Why did you stop calling? I miss our conversations. And it hit me and I was like, wow, that's really incredible. I had a, a relationship with these people. That's the reason why they supported my product. That's the reason why they supported my brands because relationships Relationships were built. People believed in who we were, but then it just kind of grew into something of its own and, and took off. It's a lot of wisdom and golden nuggets from that life. It's actually something I never asked you before because we never had time to mm -hmm. reflect on a journey, right? We were too busy working. Mm. So just really going back to that time, the brand was really about what you believed in. Mm -hmm. And then putting all that energy there. And I love what you said about believing in it 100%. And this is something I also told the team. I told Brent and our team when we were at Agenda. So I was with you in Agenda on that trip. Mm -hmm. Do you remember before we launched and then you were packing up the suitcase and I looked at you and I said, oh my God, we're going to launch in an hour. And I was so nervous. <laughs> and yeah. then you said, Vicky, 0% fear. Mm -hmm. you have to believe in it 100%. And then that moment is when I got the download of, oh, it really is just like belief and faith, like uh, energy. Yeah. And seeing you live that, zip up the suitcase, walk out the door and walk into agenda like you owned it <laughs> and setting up and then turning around and talking to people like you live in America when you've lived in Singapore. It was a certain confidence I saw displayed to me, not really taught instructionally, but it was displayed to me, mm. right? And by that, I like, as usual, I like study it, I absorb it. And then once it's in my brain, that's it. I'm not sure, but I might've been there at Agenda in 2015 as well. But, no, what? You know, it's all, uh, <laughs> awesome. 15, 16 or 14, but you know, I, I don't go every year, but I have been to the trade shows. It's a small world for one, but I also wanted to sort of ask you with streetwear, what gave you the courage to go global right away instead of just being stuck in Singapore, which at the time didn't really have like a streetwear community, at least from my experience, because well, to be honest, I was like modeling over there. So I didn't really see anything outside of Orchard Road. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So that was like exactly around the time that I was launching first brands and everything. I first started out in all of this by representing my partner at the time. He was a musician and I was representing him in terms of his music, booking him shows, getting him into the media and all of that sort of thing. And I came up against so much resistance at the time 
for supporting local talent and local art. And I could see at the time that there wasn't, you know, there wasn't this culture of supporting local talent and art. Being an artist was at that time quite frowned upon. And I don't mean it in the perspective of like, oh, why are you an artist? But more like, get a job where you can actually get paid, dude. You know what I mean? And it was just, it was interesting to see that. And then building these brands and everything at the time. And if I really take it back, it comes, goes all the way back to being hunted. Do you remember that site being hunted? So it, it was based in Germany, but it was this awesome culture site. And so there was being hunted, Rift Trooper, and a couple of other sites as well. These were the original hype beast and highest novelty. Okay. And so those websites, like they were the sort of like the purveyors of the culture, underground culture. And that's what we wanted to be. We wanted to be, you know, like we were coming from this underground culture. We were making music from underground culture, art from that culture. And, and it just, Singapore didn't have the underground culture. There was one store here at the time that, that was, that was pushing the culture and the store was called Ambush and it was owned by a guy called Ernchen, who is so revered now. Such an awesome guy. He has worked with some of the most amazing people. At a, a period of time, he launched the brand Surrender with James Lavelle, owned the store Surrender in Singapore. He has mm-hmm. helped Kevin Ma with uh, Hype Beast and that sort of thing. So Ern was the only guy that had, you know, a store of that sort of culture, you know, in Singapore, and that was Ambush. And it was in this little dinky mall called Far East Plaza, which is where I grew up going. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, there were like a couple of surf and skate shops. I I say surf because they were surf and skate shops, but of course there's no surf in Singapore and there was Stussy and that sort of thing. So yeah, there was just this kind of overarching sense of who's going to support this in Singapore. People are not going to pay money for this. No one's going to talk about it. Like we've got to take this to being hunted. We've got to take this to Rift Trooper. And that's what we did. And these guys actually being hunted supported us from the beginning, put our stuff on their blog right at the beginning. And, and then we just kind of took off from there. So we launched our first brand. We were making urban vinyl toys and clothing. And then not so long later, we were helping a bunch of different people with a lot of their different sort of culture sites and everything and sort of like rebranded and started our brand False. And then from there, it was found out that Lupe Fiasco was a fan and we invited him to Singapore and he hung out with us. And it just kind of exploded this whole sort of yeah, that, that was 2005. So that was interesting. But I, I guess to answer your question, the thing was, we didn't think that we were going to get support in Singapore. So we needed to take that take that product international. And, and if we wanted to be known and if we wanted to build a business and if we wanted to be successful of that, we were going to take it international and then we were going to bring it back to Singapore. And that's what we did. Was it ever in your DNA to look for support around you? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think in some ways there is definitely like, I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask for help. If I feel like I need help with something or I need support with something, I'll ask for it. You know, I'll definitely, like, I've definitely contacted my mom when I was like hand stitching all of these leather products. And I was like, Hey mom, what are you doing until three o'clock in the morning while you're watching TV? She was like, nothing. And I was like, great, here's a bunch of leather stuff. You can help me sew this, you know, and that sort of thing. You know, I asked for help when I needed it, which was awesome. Realistically at that time in Singapore, it it actually felt kind of lonely. It did. I have to admit, it did feel kind of lonely, like being here, doing what we were doing. There was like one or two other people 
working on this sort of wavelength of, of the type of, of projects or, or brands or creations or whatever you want to call it that we were doing. And big shout out to Mark from Mark and his wife from Sabotage that, you know, are still going till this day doing such an amazing job. And these guys were some of the only people at the time that were also doing it. But I hadn't met Mark yet. I didn't know them. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't have that friendship with them. I wasn't. And also, like you know, you're both trying to do your own thing. You're not going to go, hey, can you help me with my thing? It was interesting. I try to think of who did I lean on for support back then? right in the early days and actually like I think I leaned on my credit card <laughs> yeah well that's honest yeah <laughs> yeah and then in terms of what you were saying like the leather crafting and even understanding how to build the brand how to market the brand how to sell the brand who taught you all of that Mm, no one. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that was all self-taught. That was like early days. It was really hard just trying to figure it out. I think that it was a lot of trial and error. Actually, to be honest, the first time that we made our shirts, we invested a couple of thousand dollars into a bunch of shirts and brought them in. And we were like, all right, we're going to do something totally different. And we were like hand distressing them and all sorts of stuff and, and all of that. And then and we were washing them and drying them and cutting them. And I was hand stitching labels onto them. They were limited to 50 per design. And so we did all of this and we did our first print run on them and it was messed up. And I was like, we can't sell these. These are terrible. And so we threw them all away. And then we had to start all over again. And I was like, so much money has just been put into this so much time. And I'm like, I quit my job full time. We had rent to pay, bills to pay. And I was like, wow, we're really in debt now to ourselves. And we've got to start all over. So it was actually a really interesting learning curve. A lot of people have ended up coming to us and asking us how to print, how to silk screen share. So we used to silk screen everything. And that's when we decided later on to start putting out videos on how we made our t-shirts, how we did everything. And it was in part because we wanted to show people that this is what they were spending their money on. They weren't just spending their money on a couple of people that were designing stuff and throwing it into a factory and getting it made and packaged and drop shipped to them. We were sitting in our living room. We were hand distressing. We were, you know, washing these shirts, printing these shirts, packing these shirts and everything and doing it all ourselves. And we wanted to show them, you know, this is the process that went into it. So it was a lot of trial and error. And I have to say it was a lot of error. There were so many errors made. But if I hadn't been through all of those errors, if I hadn't made all of the mistakes that I'd made, I would have never have had a successful brand. It just wouldn't have, I just don't think that it would have been possible. Or maybe I should say, I would have had a successful brand, but I wouldn't have respected it and believed in it the way that I did and still do. That's a good one. So here's where we're going to announce that we've decided to start a tie-dye business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally into tie-dye now, guys. <laughs> so Brent, get to work. <laughs> we got, I've been like, we during, got shirts during to do. this situation, that's what I've been doing pretty much. I've been tie-dyeing the shit out of everything, like... I'm going to the local craft store and like experimenting with colors and learning how to nice. do certain folds. I don't know. What have you been doing <laughs> this whole period? Like how is, how's the situation in Singapore and like, how's your day different now compared to before? Yeah. So Singapore actually goes into the lockdown, right? So Singapore, we've had something called a circuit breaker, and then they've decided to end it in three phases. First phase actually hasn't changed my life in really any way, but phase two is going to change my life. 
drastically because that means we can start to go out again. So we can go to restaurants and five people can meet at a time or five people can go over to someone's house, that sort of thing. So that's going to change things. But actually, this whole experience has been so interesting because for 13 years or for the better part of, yeah, 13 years, I worked from home with my brands and businesses. And I didn't really spend a lot of time with friends and family. I didn't really travel. And in fact, my lifestyle was so peculiar that I would do my groceries in the middle of the night. So I would pick supermarkets that were 24 hours to do my groceries then. But I was also used to that lifestyle. I always kind of in some ways intentionally, but also unintentionally avoided people. And then When I changed my life and I left my businesses, I became this extremely extroverted person. And I think in some ways it was because my life had changed so much. I was like, wow, I can fill it up and whatever I want to do. And so I feel like I overextended myself socially. And then during this lockdown, I have gone back to who I was before and now phase two and I have massive anxiety. I'm like, wow, I really, uh, am I ready to see people? I don't know. (laughs) So I think the thing that is most different for me with this is the reality that, wow, I really miss sunshine. I miss lying on the grass. That's not allowed in Singapore. You cannot lie on the grass during the circuit breaker in Singapore. That is not okay. I'm not okay with that. Not being able to swim has been extremely challenging as well. So I'm seeing that for me, it's just the natural movement of the body. Like, you know, I can work out and do all of those things, which is fine, but I just want to get out and feel the wide open space, but not with a million people there. And I want to lie in the sun and I want to get into water. And I am actually really excited about uh, sitting in a restaurant and being able to sit down and have a meal and laugh with, with you know, my closest friends and that sort of thing. So other than that, I think what's really different for me is just sitting on calls a lot. Yesterday I did seven hours on Zoom. Yeah, seven hours on Zoom over a 10 hour period. At the end of it, I was like going crazy. The chair is not the most comfortable place in the, in the world I'm finding. <laughs> How about you guys? I was just going to say, well, in the Philippines, because Brent's in Toronto, it's pretty much lockdown, extended quarantine. But one of the things that we have been working on is this podcast, you know, while we're indoors, make lemonade out of lemons and come out with some really good content. That's how it is here. And then Brent, I mean, see like waterfalls and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm going on like hikes and stuff. There are things definitely that are closed, but they've opened it up and stores are opening. So people are lining up to go into like random stores just because I think people have buyer's revenge and Mm -hmm. they just want to get out and be social. So they're not super following all the social distancing. Like it's not super strict here. But I can feel it. Like, I feel it myself. There's an itch to, for me to like, just go out and do stuff Mm. responsibly, obviously. But, you know, some people aren't as responsible and they're not wearing their face masks. And like, sometimes like someone's too close in the line behind me. I'm like, yo, back the fuck up. Just going back to, I guess the reason why I wanted to ask about your experience being a creator, especially so young. And on such a global scale is because part of the intention of this podcast is to educate and teach, right? And to hopefully share wisdom and lessons to future creators. How did you put these pieces together in your journey of building your own brands? And you didn't just build fashion, you built tech, you were consulting for other companies. How was that for you in putting the pieces together? My mom said something to me when I was really young. She said, if somebody asks you to do something, just say yes, and then figure out how later. And then I heard that again. 
And I don't even remember where I heard it again. I, I would have heard it in a documentary or, you know, it, it would have been or a philosopher or something. And I guess in some ways that's been, you know, my philosophy in life is just say yes and figure it out because a yes leads to something. And I just feel like in some ways, I just wanted to constantly open doors for myself and see what the possibilities of life could be. And I think also, you know, I have thankfully been raised with a lot of confidence and just to keep trying and trying new things. And I think my mind also just works in such a way that if I just try to create something, it doesn't matter if it doesn't really work. I could, you know, maybe that is the beginning, this bad thing that I've created that just sucks and looks ugly or whatever could actually be the beginning of something else and that's actually happened a couple of times before you know I've, I've created some products that I was like wow this is really ugly I don't I don't know what I'm going to do with it and it's just kind of sat on the shelf and then I've reconstructed it into something else later okay in terms of that journey um you said I know this is something you don't like saying streetwear I know that. So so I always call it independent men's fashion or independent. Yeah. But then like people are like, oh, you had a fashion brand. I'm like, no, I'm like, no, I didn't like cut and sew shirts. You know, that's not what it was, but it was more, it was graphic design and that sort of thing. But it was for skate culture, like sneakers, skate culture, you know, so that's streetwear. And in your journey there, how did you feel about the voices of women in that time, like, or up to now, of how that's represented. Thank you for asking this question. I I know you're very passionate about that. So I wanted to get that out there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thank you for asking this question. When I think about when I started, there was no one to like look up to, you know, there was no one that was spearheading anything in streetwear at the time. So if I think about, you know, some of the, the women that have been in this industry, so there's Leah from Married to the Mob, Lanny from Hell's Bells. There's M. Dot who ran JB Classics with with her husband at the time and uh, went on to start her own brand, Bougie. And then there was also there was a brand in I think they were in LA at the time called Brown Babies as well that came out a little bit later. So it was really interesting. There were some women that were doing some things. And then there there are some women that have, you know, that maybe they weren't creating streetwear brands, but they were creating other brands or doing something in the the industry. They were writing, they were in stores, they were buying creative directors, whatever. So Sarah from Colette, now not a streetwear store, but such a a culture icon, right, for, for what it was. So Sarah from Colette doing big things at the time for the industry as well. So... Just as a creator, it felt a little bit like a challenge to not have a woman to look up to. But at the same time, I was like, ah, what are you going to do? It's a men's industry. Just find a way to do. And this is actually one of the biggest reasons why I refused to do interviews for years was I don't want to be the voice or the face or anything like that of the brands because I was very clear for myself that it was a men's streetwear brand. And it was a men's streetwear industry. And it wasn't a fight that I wanted to fight because that wasn't the fight that, you know, I wanted. It wasn't the purpose of my brands. My brands were about anti-sweatshop. My brands were about inspiring people to think of where their where their products come from, who made their products, and were they supporting the underbelly of society that maybe wasn't so tasteful. And then all of these other things, and the brands kind of grew from there in terms of like what they represented and what they were fighting for. And so I knew early on that 
what I wanted to do with the brands was not to fight for a women's voice in streetwear. And so I was quite happy to be quiet in a sense and just sit back and leave the work to the men to talk about men's stuff and just create. For me, I've always, and I respectfully to women that want to create more and want to do more with life and want to propel the women's movement and that sort of thing. I've always found that for myself, I love to build people up. I love to create and I love to support and and I'm really passionate about collaboration. Actually, if you really get to know me as a person, you'll find that I'm more passionate about collaborating with somebody on something than I am about doing something for myself. And I think energetically, it's really incredible to see how sometimes somebody can invite us to something that is for us and we'll say no and we'll repeatedly say no. But if they ask you to come and support them, you'll say yes, because it's in this role of like, how can I support you? And how can I nourish you and cultivate you? And, and I find that that's a a really strong energy for me, I want to be nourishing and supporting and cultivating and collaborating. So I tend to not do things that are for myself. And I tend to do things that are for supporting other people. So for my brands, I found that really what I was doing is I was doing it to support my partner. And that was great. But then as I started moving through those, those brands and seeing that there were no women really pushing anything in the culture and the industry. And I was just like, wow, this is, this is really interesting. And then starting to see one or two women come up and be interviewed. And then I was like, I feel inspired. I want to start a women's streetwear brand. But I was so busy, so busy with my brands that I never got around to starting a women's brand. And I know men's streetwear so well. Like, I mean, I could stand next to a guy and I could pick out styles that I know that would fit him. And I could pick out his size of shirt or pants or shoes or anything because I know men's wear so well. But forget about asking me to do that next to a woman. I just, I, it's like, I have no idea. you know. So, yeah. I can support that. She's actually looked at an outfit and dissected even what it was and it's it's because you studied it or you saw it and you remembered it or you remember the style or you remember the designer like you didn't look at fashion as consumerism from my observation of you you looked at it as a mix of art but also a science to it of Mm -hmm. even how things were cut and sewn you would look at it yeah workmanship and quality that's something it wasn't to be cool Cool was the after effect of what you've done, but I do know your habits of how you would pick something up, whether it be like earrings and Haji Lane or something, you would study how it's made, what metal it was, how they put it together, and I could see you process it in your head. Yeah. Yeah. To the point of even like the back of the earring, what they use to like. Yeah. Yeah. The push. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So so that's that's interesting because that's the thing, right? Like if you learn how something is made, you understand what quality is. And then also, you know, when it comes down to spending your money on something, money is energy, you know, and the person that made the product put energy into it too. And I just found that for myself, I wanted to part with that. You know, I wanted that energy exchange the money that I spent, you know, on the product to go to somebody that had actually put thought, time and effort into the quality and the workmanship. And I had to stand by that for myself too, which is why I made sure that the quality and workmanship of my product was great. So I was wondering when you started those brands in the past, it was like over 10 years ago, Mm, maybe since then there's been obviously a a big boom with like social media, whether Instagram and Mm -hmm. and all that would you approach it differently the way that you would market your like suppose you were to do a all women's brand 
Mm-hmm. Would you market it differently now in the in the time now? And also, you're very hard to like research online. Mm-hmm. Like, even like your Instagram is like private and <laughs> I really use that platform to because like I like to look at visuals to see like what their interests are beyond what they say in interviews and mm-hmm. like you're private, but would you also be different now with social media if you were to promote your brand? Because right. it's like a powerful tool, social media, right? Yeah. Yes. Actually, my brands, I want to say 2008 is when we started to explore Facebook and then Instagram early days. So, you know, once Instagram was up, we started exploring Instagram as well. And so at the time, my store was called, so it depends on, on your whether it's British or American pronunciation, anti-anti or anti-anti, or for some of us, it was anti-anti. Anyway, <laughs> so the, the, the brand, the store was uh, anti-anti. I'm going to call it anti-anti. I speak British English. And we went with Instagram really early on. And I don't think the accounts are still there anymore, but I think we had something like 250,000 organic followers by the time we we like ended like closed the store and that sort of thing which would have been 2015 and that's a lot we never paid never ever paid a dime for followers or anything like that and it was just like posting product posting you know how it was made a couple of behind the scenes things you know photo shoots that sort of thing so definitely like back then definitely used facebook and instagram and even now I'm just going to go ahead and say I wouldn't use uh, Facebook. <laughs> I don't use Facebook anymore, really. You know, I, I use it to keep in touch with my extended family that are overseas, pretty much. And then every now and then I pick up a news story that is outrageous and I post it and share it and give some commentary about what I think. <laughs> but realistically, I think Instagram is still a really interesting tool. Maybe I feel that way because I'm on Instagram. As you say, I am a very private person. You can't find out much about me. I think there's two interviews with me that you might find and maybe if you scroll back far enough you might see like some old photo shoots or something like that my instagram and facebook are are super private and i feel that that's maybe a good thing for me like just i'm a private person if i was to start another brand now I would put the brand on a platform and make it known. I would definitely do interviews. I would explain why I'm creating this brand and I would definitely delve into what makes me tick. Therefore, what makes this brand tick? Again, I have to 100% believe in the product to be able to sell it. That's my ethos in life. I don't do anything if I don't believe in it. I don't do relationships if I don't believe it. I don't live in the house if I don't believe in it. I won't do it if I don't believe in it. So much so that I physically have a reaction in my body. If I don't believe in it, I cannot be there. I will fall sick. And, you know, that's happened to me. I tried to work for somebody and had a job for a little while. And I was, you know, in the, I think, seven months that I tried to do it, I, I was sick for sort of like five of those months. And I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm leaving. <laughs> and uh, and I didn't even really like hand in my notice. I just sort of like jumped on a plane, went to New Zealand, and never came back or never went back to work. So we're going we're gonna to fast forward now and we're going to talk about reinvention and the concept of reinvention that you talked about. How is that process from leaving that former identity of 13 years of building a brand and working in streetwear and reinventing yourself to the next phase of your journey? It felt like a necessity at the time. Actually, it was really interesting. Like I I had in 2014, I'd had this traditional Maori healing session and um and so much, like I felt so much in my body and, and I felt like, I felt like I was staring down the barrel of like change or die. And I was like, 
what the fuck change seriously or die. And I was like, fucking take me, I'll die, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I worked so hard for this, but I was like, yeah, no, I, I got to change. So I did. And it was, it was like second nature. I just started, I started embracing something that was actually deeper down in the layers of who I was originally. And it was something that I kind of, I, I covered up for like a long time. And so I just started embracing those parts of who I was. And that led to my reinvention. And, and I think what realistically it really started to become was I started to become no longer afraid of speaking my truth and claiming my voice and knowing that if I had something, there was going to be space for me to say it. And that if a person didn't want to let me say it, I was going to say it anyway. And if that person didn't want to hear it, then, you know, fuck off, <laughs> you know, for that's, that's how I felt. And I was like, wow, it's, it's actually really interesting because I don't want to be small. Actually, I think the turning point was one day. I remember it was about April, 2015. And I went to this like really weird workshop and I loved it. And I took a photo of my hands after this workshop. And it was just on this like piece of, it was like grass and I had my hands there and I asked my friend to take a photo of my hands. So I had my, my hands down just sort of like that. And I took this photo of my hands and I still have this photo on my phone today. And I look at it every now and then, whenever I kind of think about it and uh, my hands have been so important to me. My brands are my history. My brands are everything that they are because I did everything with my hands. I was making phone calls. I was printing products, sewing. I was, you know, carrying boxes. I, I did everything. I packed and folded product. I was going to the post office until I found a company that would come and pick it up from me and that sort of thing. And then I was shipping FedEx and DHL and all the rest of it. You know, my hands were so important. And I realized on this particular day, I was like, wow, what I do next with my hands are going to be really, really important. I need to honor the fact that my hands are what lead me into my life because I'm tactile. You know, like Vicky was saying, I'll go to something and I'll see this shirt and I'll like touch and I'll be like, oh yeah, I know what the, I know what this t-shirt is, blah, 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 blah. You know, I know the, the material, I know what it's made of. I know the print and that sort of thing. It's good because I can kind of see where this took you in terms of, I'm going to go there, getting into the healing work through your yeah. hands as well. Yeah. And can you can you talk about that work? Yeah, so wow. I went and did this a bunch of different workshops on traditional Maori healing and that's actually what took me into yeah, that's what it was. That's what took me into the whole hands story. <laughs> so I did this traditional Maori healing session and like I said it, it was like I had to change my life and then about a year and a couple of months later I was I was doing these workshops for myself learning about it. And it was so interesting. I did like the first three works workshops and I was like, I'm here to learn how to like do traditional Maori healing and it's with my hands. And like the first three workshops, I hadn't touched a single person. I hadn't learned how to do anything with my hands. And I was like, what is this? You know? And then eventually sometime later, I, I started learning more and more and more. And I realized that there's so much power that is unleashed from working with like what God gave me. You know, if you want to call it that, okay, I'm not saying God, but like what God gave me, you know, I was given these hands and I use these hands to create everything. What else can I do with them? And so I started exploring that and it felt so good. So when I was six years old, I knew I wanted to be a physiotherapist. 
my mom was in a car accident. She used to go to the physio and, and I watched the physio and I push all the little buttons and everything and learn how to do everything. And I was like, wow, I want to be a physio. And then my mom was like, oh, you can massage me. And so then I started massaging her and everything. And then, so that began sort of like my journey of learning how to massage. And then I massaged from the age of six until today, I still massage, but then I started to learn more and more and I started to explore it and study it. And then I learned traditional Maori healing. And then since then it's just been like this gateway into what else can I do with my hands and so what I do know about myself is that no matter what I do now or what no matter what I do next it's definitely going to be a product of the capability of how I can express myself and what I have to offer to the world and how I love and nurture through what I can do with my hands for sure. Did that all in in New Zealand? I I did so I did my workshops in um with a traditional Maori healer, a teacher that teaches it. So he's actually based in New Zealand. And I did some of the workshops in Australia and in New Zealand. Yeah, as we're coming to the close of this interview, and it's been quite a journey, and I feel like you've only scratched the surface as well. What do you feel has been like your greatest lesson so far from the time you started building brands to now we're in your in the Maori healing world? Mm, to trust my intuition. Absolutely. Every time I have repeatedly, you know, through the course of my life, shut down my intuition and been like, you know, that little voice that's like, no, or just that feeling that feels weirdly uncomfortable. Don't do that. And then do it anyway. Now, sure. I think it's important to make mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, you don't learn. If you don't learn, you don't grow. I do absolutely believe in making mistakes and growing from them, but the intuition doesn't lie. Like the sensation and the feeling and knowing in your body that just knows what's right for you. And I have definitely wasted a lot of time by not listening to my intuition. So I would listen to my intuition more. That would be my advice to myself. That would be my re like my do over in life would be to listen to my intuition more. Maybe life would just, I would have more experiences or something like that. It's not that I regret anything, but how amazing would it be to know that everything that you did, you did wholeheartedly knowing that that was just right for you. Some of the things that you said earlier was you're that person who likes to support other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that a lot, but also this is something we talk about. I also see you from an outsider's point of view. And I've also noticed that the past few years, it's been a lot of self-nurturing going on. Mm-hmm. Even though you said you've been supporting other people, I've really witnessed you shift and attend all these workshops and do all these things and uh, really get into self-supporting. That's just my observation. I'll speak to that, actually, because I think that's a really valid thing to say. And it's, it, I think maybe it is something that is worth pointing out. I neglected myself and who I was for the better part of 14 years. And in the last five years, I decided that, no, I'm putting myself first. And even in that time, I have still not, you know, 100% listened to my intuition. I have still put other people first, you know, but for the most part, if I didn't want to do it, I did not do it. And, and I'm proud of where I'm at, but also like, yeah, like you say, you know, all this self-development work and everything, what's the point? If I can't grow who I am to be a better person and to do more for this world or, and, and, you know, I do believe, like, I really am one of those people that believes that if you can, if you can just change the life of one person, that's change enough, you know? So I endeavor, absolutely. I endeavor every day to be somebody that is positive, 
somebody that is nurturing and somebody that is kind. I try as much as I possibly can to never, ever speak unless I have something to say with kindness. What would be your advice to the creatives who are currently creating in this world right now? (sighs) Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I need that advice for myself even. I feel like I need that advice right now. That's why I'm asking it as a question. <laughs> yeah. So actually, it's interesting because as the world is you know, changing so much right now, because you know, we've out, the economy is in shreds, right? And I was just reading this article on Vice, and it basically had to do with, you know, it was along the lines of, we very rarely have the opportunity to recreate or change the economy with how we spend our dollars with, you know, with all of these different things. And we are in a unique position at the moment to be able to do that. Things weren't working before. They haven't been working for a very long time, just the way that the world works, right? And so how we do things from here moving forward are going to impact our lives moving forward. And so I think as a creator for myself right now, what I'm seeing is realistically, I want to be really honest about what has value, what is necessary. You know, if it's not necessary, don't create it. Don't create something just because you want to. A good idea doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be out there and it has to be sold. So I think for me, I'm seeing that I want to see people that are creating things that have everlasting impact and change. Okay, whether that is something that is physically changing like it changes, cleans up and changes the environment or cleans up and changes the environment of people's lives. Maybe it's something emotional or maybe it's something in terms of like, it's helping people to come closer. So I feel like for me, the one thing that I really want to focus on, like in terms of creation right now is I want to find a way to bring close people closer together. I think people are missing connection. I think that's the reason why we have the world is the way that it is. There's a massive disconnect. And so I believe in helping people to connect better. So if anything, I think that's what creation is. Creation is about creating something that connects people. And I just want to see that. So honest, honest, authentic connection. And my final question is, what's next for you? Honest, authentic connection. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's next that you're going to make with your hands? Is there anything that you've been feeling like starting a new Mm. uh, skill? Mm. Yeah, I was about to start home a homewares brand in 2018 because I'm like I'm really into aromatherapy. I mean, I have a lot of essential oils in the corner of my bedroom. <laughs> and so I've been really into aromatherapy, but not just because of the scent, but because of the scent signature and how it activates different things within our body. And what it does is it actually stimulates healing and growth for us. So I think that if anything, I can say that what I'm going to create next with my hands is going to be something that is an honest representation of who I am as a person this time, not just the representation of somebody that I work with. All right. So that's all we have for today. Thank you again, Amanda, for joining us on our podcast, Theoretically Speaking. I'm really, really grateful to have you here. And again, um, what I said earlier, this was just the tip of the iceberg. Like if you spend more time with Amanda, it can go into so many different conversations. It can also dive deeper as well. It's always a pleasure and joy to work with you and learn from you. So thank you for sharing your energy here and with our audience today on Theoretically Speaking. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. It's been such a pleasure. I just want to say thanks also on my end. Uh, It was really nice meeting you. And 
yeah, Vicky always says the nicest things about you, about being her mentor. She shared a lot of stories, so it's glad to finally put a, a face to all these stories and get to meet you as well. So thank you again for your insights and hopefully we can connect more in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Please let me know if you're ever in Singapore. It'd be cool. awesome. Yeah. Thank right. you, guys. Thank you. And there you have it, our episode with Miss Amanda Scully, all the way from Singapore. And it's been such a pleasure to have her on our show. She is someone that we've learned from when it comes to building a brand, doing things yourself, and being, yes, yeah, self-taught. Thank you once again for listening to our podcast. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, give it a like. And of course, don't forget to follow us at Next Theory, at Victoria underscore Herrera, and at Brent Javier.